combating the street noise this week, welcome to Hand of Pod. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 271 of the Internet's Best English Language Argentine Football Podcast. I'm Sam Kelly, and you're also listening this week to English Dan. Hello and welcome to a podcast I'm guessing neither of us really wanted today. No, indeed. Um, we are recording later in the week than normal. It's Thursday afternoon. We're recording earlier in the day than normal. It's later Thursday and earlier. There you go. Afternoon. Um, for which reason we're going to have a bit more street noise and in particular a gentleman working with a circular saw on the building next door uh, who you might hear to combat this because we don't have a professional recording studio. Um, Not yet. We'll, we'll look for your donations. Anyway. Turn the sensitivity of the microphone down and moved it closer to us so hopefully you can't hear him. He's drilling right now or, or sawing something right now behind me. If that noise gets on your tits during the podcast, we apologise. Turn your volume down or something, maybe. <laughs> Um, I'm not sure how that would work. But anyway, um, I will go through the scores from the weekend just gone in the Superliga, but we're not going to be talking that much about it because it's not really the main story this week, but we will go over it a little bit. They were as follows. Banfield and Colón drew 1-1 in Banfield on Friday. Argentinos Juniors beat Arsenal de Sarandí 3-2. Union on Saturday got a 2-0 win at home to Godoy Cruz. Huracán beat Lanús' reserve side 4-0. San Martín de San Juan beat Estudiantes 1-0 in San Juan. Atlético Tucumán got a 3-1 win over Racing's reserves as well. Yeah, they played like reserves at least. Yeah. Um, Tacheres got a 4-0 home win over River Plate's reserves. Newell's Old Boys beat Chacarita Juniors 2-1 in Rosario. Gimnasia got a 4-0 win over Vélez. Uh, that was two first teams. Yeah. But there we go. Tempele lost 2-0. That's the first away defeat, away win of the weekend, isn't it? Looking over, yeah, it is. First and only, yeah. To San Lorenzo. So it is, yeah, bloody hell. Uh, Boca Juniors, the league leaders, continued to lead the lead and kept up their 100% record with a 4-0 win over Belgrano. Independiente, uh, I think, played a mixed sort of side against Patronato and drew 1-1 in Avellaneda. And on Monday, Defensa y Justicia drew 1-1 with Olimpo, and Tigre and Rosario Central also drew 1-1 in Victoria. The bigger um, stories so far are that we're recording at this point in the week, mostly um, so that we can uh, record in, in the knowledge of what the Copa Libertadores final lineup is going to be, um, and also because we were hoping to be previewing pretty much um, a semi-final Clásico de Avellaneda in the Copa Sudamericana um, Independiente's second leg of their tie is, is tonight but they won the first leg 4-1 last week so we're assuming that they're going to scrape through 4-1 so. away we should say as well yes exactly um, so we're assuming that they're going to make it we were hoping that Racing were going to do the business last night we were they did not they, they did drew 0-0 
um, after losing the first leg 1-0 away to Libertad. They drew 0-0 at home last night. And River Plate against Lanús in the Libertadores semi-final ended up going Lanús's way um, in spite of that very one-sided first leg that we talked about last week with River winning. I think I might have said last mm. week that River might sort of possibly regretted only winning by a goal, uh, but that I suspected that Lanús' lack of going for an away goal was going to come back and bite them on the arse if River got an early one in the second leg. Indeed, it was River a very got, one-sided first half as well. It was, is... yeah. R- River got two early ones, uh, or two relatively early ones in the second leg to go 3-0 up on aggregate, 2-0 up on the night on Tuesday night. And then Jose Sand scored with the last, almost the last touch of the first half and with Lanús' first shot on target of the entire mm. tie. And then he scored seconds into the second half with Lanús' second shot on target of the entire tie to make it 2-2 on the night, 3-2 to River on aggregate, and set up what it has to be said, regardless, I think, of um, your uh, um, club sympathies, was a thrilling second half. Um, oh, yeah, The kind of match that the Copa Libertadores has built its legend on, mm-hmm. let's say. Um, Lanús ended up winning 4-2 on the night and 4-3 on aggregate. Uh we have to start with that match, really, Dan. Um, whereabouts in that match do we start? There's so many different places to go. I mean, Lanus eventually had a shot on target which didn't result in a goal um, fairly late on, I think, about the 87th minute from Lautaro Acosta, possibly. That was uh, the first shot saved. on target over the two legs, basically. Yes, precisely, yeah, the, the entire tie. So they, they scored, yeah. up until that point, they had scored four goals from four shots on target. No, I think you've got to applaud Lanús, not just for mm. this game, which they they won, Manning, just a simply incredible comeback, which no one was expecting. But not just for this game, but for everything they've done over the last 20 years. Um, you know, if you go back to the 80s, it was a team in, in the C, which at that time was the third tier of, of Argentine football, not the... No, yeah, not the fourth tier as it is now, but Indeed. still um, an incredible achievement. Um, poignantly enough, um, Ramon Cabrero, I believe his name is, the guy who won Lanús' first uh, Primera title. I mm. believe he passed away on Wednesday morning or he passed away this week. Oh, he did, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, this was a guy who did perhaps more than anyone to, to build Lanús up from kind of a lower league kind of bouncing between the divisions kind of team to a team where um, that the Primera would look incomplete without as mm. they've been I mean ever since we've been here you could say even you know the top six or seven would look incomplete without Lanús yeah. and there have been perennial challenges for to get into the Copas the Libertadores the Suramericana they won the Suramericana a few years back under Guillermo I thought it was the Oh, they did win the Sudamericana. They did. I forgot about it. I 2013, Because they also won the Copa Conmebol in... They won the Conmebol, I believe, yeah. I've forgotten that they won the Sudamericana. 97, I believe, the Conmebol, yeah. which was a sort of weird competition, as Conmebol have had many of over their, over their many years in charge of South American football. Basically, for the yeah. benefit of listeners, it's basically one of the predecessor tournaments to what's now the Copa Sudamericana. Yeah. And then, yeah, and ever since uh, Jorge Almirón came... Came in for Guillermo. A lot of people think, ah, right. Guillermo's left. He was, you know, a big personality on the bench. They're probably going to start kind of creeping back down the table. But the opposite has happened. Now, Miron, with absolutely no budget really on 
compared to the big clubs, you know, the big five and and even some some teams like Newell's and Central has put together a team which doesn't have many star names, but it's full of players who who just seem to go well in in the club. You're talking about players like Jose San, who neither Racing fans nor River fans have much affection for, but he's a player who two years ago was playing in Boca Unidos in the Nacional V, and he just keeps scoring goals, which is fairly incredible. Um, Latare Acosta, who went from kind of obscurity to to the Argentina team and uh, since being at Lanús. José Luis Gómez, another guy who was kind of discarded by Racing as a kid for being a bit of a wayward arsehole. And, and now he's considered, again, one of the most promising Argentine defenders around. Uh, Román Martínez, another. There's loads of these guys who don't have big names behind him. Román Martínez, he was always decent at Estudiantes, I guess, but he's kind of moved on at Lanús. And it's a real credit to the club and I think anyone who is aware of how Lanús work around um, around their neighbourhood in you know, the eponymous neighbourhood of Lanús just outside Buenos Aires. Now they do a lot of work for the community, they put a lot of work into to the um, non-football activities which are, which are often the lifeblood of any club, which are often left without left without funds, left without um, support because you need to get a new number 10 in. Mm. And Lanús haven't done that. They just uh, kind of kept things simple. They've always had, at least for the last five or six years, this tag of model club, which is sometimes deserved, sometimes not. They've got their problems like all the clubs here. but um, it's, it's always a slightly questionable sort of appellation in Argentina. Indeed, yeah. Because but, there's always going to be some funny business going on. Oh, totally, at the yeah. top of the club and totally, the rest totally, of it yeah. that's the nature of society here yeah all we can say is uh, if you look at Lanús it's an example of how to do things right at least at least partially which hmm. and those examples don't abound in Argentine football and I think perhaps crucially um, and, and very <laughs> relevantly to this tie uh, one of the things that I, I've liked about Lanús during that time that you're describing is that they have, by and large, always had a very strong goalkeeper. Yes. Um, Agustin Marquesin was the sort of eye-catching mm-hmm. um, one the first time that I sort of really clocked this, and then I looked back on some of the previous ones and thought, yeah, they were quite good as well. And when he left, they replaced him with um, Fernando Menotti from Gimnasia. Monetti. Mo- <laughs> Thank you, yes. Fernando Monetti from Gimnasia. Just so no one gets confused, yes. he's a long-lost uh, son of El Flaco. Um, and then when he left, they replaced him with Esteban Andrada. Oh, yeah, in fact, sorry, he's not left. Esteban Andrada's come in and, and yeah. essentially won the place off Monetti, partly because Monetti's been injured a fair bit as well. Um, and, uh, you know, they're really, really solid goalkeepers. Which yeah, Andrada's a guy who's been rated for a long time. I remember when he was number two to Marchesin and mm. there were rumours about him going to Barcelona B and a few other clubs. I don't know if he ever left Lanús or if he's just bided his time. I will have a we'll look at research that but when I'm done pouring this matter for you. But yeah, he's a guy who's always had um, a very good name about him. He hasn't had a lot of chances um, in goal for precisely what Sam said. There's always been massive competition for that place. But he's definitely 
one to watch. And the reason that I mention it is that it had a direct impact on the Libertadores semi-final mm-hmm. because, as I say, Lanús scored with their first four shots on target in the in the semi. Herman Lux is not a bad goalkeeper, but no. it would seem that he isn't the standard off goalkeeper that River needed to bring in. No, um, he's not a bad player. It was precisely. And, uh, you know, th- th- there is many congratulations to Lanús and they're going to be playing, by the way, in fact, yeah, let's talk about this before we move on to the River post-mortem, as it were. Um, Lanús are going to be playing Gremio, who I don't think we mentioned last week. I think I mentioned just the score of it after the music because it was on the Wednesday night, wasn't it? And we recorded on Wednesday. Yes, I believe so. Um, Gremio destroyed Barcelona in Guayaquil in the first leg in Guayaquil. Um, of their semi-final 3-0 two goals from young hotshot Luan young Luan um, who is one of the hottest strikers on the continent right now and he um, signed a new contract yesterday oh did he take him to 2020 with Gremio oh, I don't know that I hope he did it before the match before the match afterwards the wage offer would have gone down a bit um, mm. they then took their foot off the accelerator a little bit during the second leg um, in Porto Alegre last night they lost 1-0 uh, through a goal from uh, Avila, I can't remember his first name, um, late, fairly late-ish into the, the first half. Unfortunately for the neutral, Barcelona couldn't find the goal early in the second half that would have really set up a, a ding-dong battle in Two, the second four half. threes would have been a bit much for, for a single semi Yeah, no, right? I mean, it would have been, but it was, uh, you know, it was a, a bit of a come-down after the previous, sort of, the previous night's Libertadores classic for the ages. Um, to see an, an actually relatively dull game in which one team were holding the other off at arm's length. Um, so am I right in saying this would be if Gremio won their first Libertadores since the era of Renato Gaucho and I think so. that in 83 possibly? 83 or 84 sounds. 84 must have been. Oh no, 84 might have been one of Independientes. Let's have a look. 83 sounds... We're doing lots of on on air googling today. Which we need a producer great. really to do this kind of stuff. But yeah, we do, don't we? We just don't have the wages to pay. That's me. So, um, Gremio won the Copa Libertadores in. It doesn't say it there. It just says they've won it twice. Uh, on his continent. So I reckon that would do us. Eighty-three and ah, ninety-five. They got it yeah. as well. Okay. There we go. So there we have it. Uh, and Esteban Andrada. Has then they were spent, up a, to spent a season on loan at Arsenal this year. Ah, that's right. In 2014 yeah. 15. But apart from that, no, he's not been to Barcelona. But he, you're right, he was yeah. linked with them. And Gremio's um, last appearance in Elevadores final was a defeat against FC Riquelme, or as oh, they were was, also yeah. known at that time, Boca. That was the final with the hideous yellow shorts that Boca wore. Which was a different shade to the yellow <laughs> on there. I remember that one. It was a different shade to the yellow on Boca's shirts itself. They, they had to change them for some reason. Um, and so in the second leg, they made Gremio change their, like, they, Boca deliberately wore a kit that was going to clash with Gremio's first choice in some way, so they had to change something as well. It was it was remarkable. But the, the yellow on the shorts was really, like, even watching on an internet stream, which obviously I was That's being beautiful. over in England at the time, it, it sort of burnt, burnt into your retina. Um, what was I saying? Anyway. We're going on to Rivers post-mortem now, I believe. We, we were, but I was going to mention, first of all, um, that I think that the first leg, by the way, is going to be in Porto Alegre. The second leg is going to be in Lanús, because Lanús are second seeds from the um, start of the knockout round, and Gremio third seeds. Oh, yeah. So this might be the highest seeded final that we've had in a while, but I'm not going to go back through and look all that yeah. up, at least not while we're recording. Um, 
Who do you think are fi- favourites? Because after both uh, after the, both first legs have been played, I said that whoever Gremio ended up playing in the final, Gremio were going to be the favourites. Um, and after last night, I'm not quite so sure. If it it's very much going to depend on, you know, whether they can keep up that intensity because yeah, it's a very hard one to call. I mean, and and also you know I. I just wonder whether Almiron is going to go with the same tactical plan of all-out defence in the first leg, try not to concede too many, not bother about snatching an away goal. Because, yeah, Lanus got through the semi-final this time round, but, as we will discuss in a minute, that was as much as anything because River collapsed, and I think it would be a very risky strategy um, to try that again. I don't think that they, they didn't qualify because they kept the first leg scored down. Uh, as they showed in the second leg, they can go toe to toe with teams yeah. if they want to. So um, I'm not sure. Who, who do you make final uh, final favourites? It's definitely a tough one to call. I think one thing we can say with some security is that Gremio won't give Lanús the same chances hmm. as River if they're in a winning position. It's a team that's a little bit more solid defensively. It's another team that. Like to play on the counter, really. They they hit quickly and they hit hard. Um, obviously, in Luan, they've got a, a fantastic player who, as you say, is definitely one of the best best talents on on the continent at the moment. And Shugai Far, and just looking at the team as well, yeah, Lucas Barrios, another guy who excels on playing on the counter, getting you know yeah. feeding onto the ball up top, over the top. Subcompatibilitadores winning experience yeah. in Walter Kahneman and a very very good goalkeeper in Marcelo Grohe who in mm. the uh, was it last night or no it was last week wasn't it he pulled off the save of the Libertadores yeah um, this <laughs> year uh, it was remarkable yeah no uh, Lanús are going to have to get some sort of result in Porto Alegre because if they go if they go back home trailing one or two nil without getting the away goal. I can't see them getting back. Mm. It's, the first game is going to be all important, of course. Indeed. Uh, we shall see. And we now see. we have to commence the River post-mortem. Um, yes. I think what, what River learnt from this more than anything is that they they have one of the strongest, possibly the strongest starting eleven in the competition. But you need something beyond that and you need some variation yeah. when things are not going your way. Um, and possibly a bit more, a bit more pragmatism. Now, just yeah, three-two up, say, or in a continental type, chuck on another defender, or another indeed, defensive midfielder, or indeed when you're three-nil up. Uh, yeah, just, just when you're three-nil, it's, yeah. Um, but definitely when it gets back to three-two, you know, pull your team back. Yeah. And, uh, and the defence is not the strongest point. Uh, no. We've mentioned already that Herman looks, as you put it, is, is no Marcelo Barrobero. Um, the fullbacks, you know, seem especially with Marcelo Sarakis coming through. We're going to see uh, River are going to have to wait and see whether he's going to be fit to play for um, against Boca this coming weekend. He missed the second leg against Lanús uh, with an injury that he picked up late on in the first leg against Lanús. So Milton Casco played at left back instead. Um, Jorge Moreira is uh, perfectly good enough at right back, but the centre backs, Jonathan Maidana. Has has a, a decent record, but I don't think that he's he's quite uh, found the uh, the partnership that he needs alongside mm. him as much as anything, and and that combined with Pinola's injured, right? 
No, Pinola's ah, he's, he's back now, but I just yeah. don't. And, and they're both sort of individually, they're both decent. Yeah. But I just don't think that they, they've gelled particularly together. They're kind yet. of similar defenders. They like to step mm. up. They like to you know be proactive, and sometimes it's not the best way, especially if you're with a team that's very good at finding the holes. Yeah, and precisely. Sometimes you just got to sit back and, and suck up the pressure a bit. And I think ultimately that's what cost them. They're, they're fantastic from midfield going forward. Mm. Um, one would assume that River are now going to start taking the league more seriously again. It's, yeah, it's I mean, by no means to, over, and you know they've they've only got one match to bother about now for the Copa Argentina final um, to to distract them from the league at least for the next uh, month and a bit until we have the summer break, and then obviously the Libertadores starts mm-hmm. up again in the new year, which River are going to be in again. Um, but they need to to try to focus more, and and, and they mm-hmm. need to either try to bring these young players through, some of whom look very good, um, or to try and put together a deeper squad because mm-hmm. at the moment it's not working for them no and also perhaps a little bit more cover in in the middle of the pitch because Poncio's a fantastic player but I don't know whether he's he's kind of the player he once was to run the entire middle anchor the midfield and get him going you know on his own mm. perhaps he needs someone you know like with Karanevita when he came through that was probably the best river team because he had someone to do the to do the hard work and, and to run around and basically he just had to sit back. Now it's not quite so simple for him. No, indeed. Um, so watch this space for Fort Reba. They've they've got an immediate test as I mentioned already. They play Boca this coming Sunday in the Super Classico. We'll be previewing that a little bit later. Um, as much as we can. We're going to give a bit of an overview now of the bits and pieces of the Superliga weekend. Oh, no, sorry, we're not. What am I talking about? We're almost got away with that. Yeah, you almost, almost. did now. <laughs> um, We're going to have another post-mortem, in fact, of Racing's um, directionless Really directionless campaign. It's called brainless, it's weird, you know, timid. I don't know. You, you could say, I guess, that River have gone a bit too far in one direction and, and have, have almost sort of. I, I think that Marcelo Gachado is, by and large, a pragmatist, but in in that he's good at switching uh, formations up and deciding what goes for for each individual match. But um, he has perhaps become a little bit undone by going down a bit too far in one direction for the team and, and as I say, neglecting the defence to an extent, um, at least when squad building, if not when actually deciding on tactics. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with Racing, it's sort of the opposite problem. It, it, it's and, and it's particularly confusing, as I mentioned last week, as I mentioned the time before that that you were on, that this is happening under Diego Coca, who seemed to have such a very clear idea of how he wanted Racing to play the first time around in 2014 when he won the title with them. Um, they don't still look as if they know what they're doing. I, I thought last night, at least in the first half, they did look as if they'd been introduced to each other before the match, which was a start. <laughs> Baby steps. But even then, you carried on. I, I couldn't work out why they spent the entire second half bombarding the Libertad box with crosses when I don't wish to um, perpetuate stereotypes about Paraguayan footballers here, but Libertad really are set up to play an aerial game and to defend against it and they were perfectly comfortable just heading all those crosses away they'd let them come in and they just nod it away to the halfway line yeah um, it was bizarre it, to it watch was sort really. of, it was it was bizarre and, and I, in the heat of my frustration last night I took to Twitter and said to be honest I'd, I'd rather lose how our River lost 
you know, scoring free and then letting him fall rather than the shit show I saw last night from Racing where they almost went out without having a shot on target over the two, over the, the duration of the two legs. Hmm. After that, there were a couple of chances, which I guess, you know, we should point out, uh, Lisandro Lopez had a goal scrubbed out for offside. Correctly. There were, correctly, there were at least, there was one nailed on penalty, again, for Racing. Yes, yeah. And one which was a little bit more debatable, but one at least, which, following on from what happened at the weekend against Atletico Tucumán, where there were two nailed on penalties that were ignored. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Racing and also in the with almost the luck, last kick of the game, I'd actually vacated my living room and yeah. gone off to sulk in, in my garden and have a smoke. Cause, um, so I didn't face that final anguish, but uh, Lautaro Martinez, who was one, again, one of the bright spots of, of the Racing team, uh, dragged the shot just onto the post. Yeah, it, it would have been a golasso as well if it had gone in. It would, yes. It was probably... I'm not sure if I can say the only one, but one of about four pieces of actual football that Racing had put together over mm. the 180 minutes. Um, I guess you could say like Libertad would have felt a bit aggrieved because they had a, an opponent who just firstly didn't look interested in playing when we were in Paraguay, and then when they actually needed to win, didn't seem to know how to play. It yeah. had a, a team where the defence... Struggled to pass to the midfield. The midfield struggled to get it past the halfway line. And then once you pass the halfway line, there's no idea how to get in, into the box. So you've got all three phases of the game yeah. just completely breaking down. And it's hard to know why, to be honest, because individually you see the players and you think, all right, um, Arevalo Rios, the Uruguayan, for me was one of the better players on the pitch last night. I thought he had um, a very good game. But... Everyone knows that Arevalo Riz is a player who gets the ball and lays it off five yards to his nearest teammate. Mm. He's never going to change the game. All right, that's fine. That's his job. The problem is the other nine players around him, aside from a couple of instances from Lautaro, who as well as been a very good goal scorer, has tremendous uh, link play, I'd say, for, for someone of his age. And when he's accompanied, yeah. it works very well. And Ibarro in the Colombian also should... A few moments. The rest, just as Sam said, it seems they don't even know each other. And unfortunately, I can't even exclude um, Lisandro Lisandro Lopez from this. Because Lisandro, for the last five or six games, despite being a hero from us, he's just not not looked the same player as he was before. I don't know if this kind of collective malaise that um, that has descended on Racing has finally caught up with him and he just doesn't know what to do but he's he's not firing on all cylinders and no and it's, it's a shame because this is a team as well which was reinforced and we all fought pretty well in this in the winter there was a lot of signings and some names you think ah oh, that's interesting but as we said last week and i think whenever i've been on this pod in the new season they they just don't gel together and now the Sudamericana campaign's over and um, certainly when we get to January, February, there's going to be another overhaul. The league is pretty much out of the question for Racing even at this early stage. Mm. You think, what a waste really. What, what a waste of um, 
a brilliant opportunity because it really was an excellent chance for Racing to to go for a title once the league uh, resumed in August. And maybe just to kickstart this season as well, because I do I can't help wondering whether had they made it through to the semi final, had I mean I, I did see a couple of Racing fans afterwards tweeting, you know, actually hitting the post was. And the best thing that could happen because in the semis we would have just got destroyed by independent. No, 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 no. And I, I can't like help that. thinking, I mean, maybe being drawn in a semi final against your biggest rivals might have given the team the kick up the arse that they need to sort of focus and start going, like, actually, yeah, maybe we should start thinking about how we're Oh, yeah, completely. I mean, every game of football is different. You go into this final, this semi final against Independiente, there's a different pressure on you, there's a different pressure on Independiente, the whole. Uh, scenario is different. Um, obviously, in the Benyendi would would have gone into it as the favourites because of how they're playing and because of their goal scoring potential. But it would definitely have have been a different a different situation for Racing. Now you have to work out: is this uh, kind of the end of an era for for Coca and for Victor Blanco, the the president who's up for for re-election in December? Mm-hmm. Because Coca has done well as Racing coach. He's never quite got up to those heights he managed in his first season where he, he won the league. Obviously, that's uh, very fondly remembered by all Racing fans. Um, I wasn't convinced when he came back to Racing that he was the right choice because going back rarely is. But he did well in the first half of the season. Um, but I think I said last week... Uh, losing Marcos Acuna was a body by blow for Racing yeah. and despite all the millions they, they spent over the winter they haven't managed to replace him they haven't managed to make a, a coherent team the facts speak for itself I believe Racing have scored something like two goals in their last eight games in all competitions or two goals in their last six it's something it's one win in nine I think that as well with the uh, it was I, I think it was one in eight before the second leg yeah um, they are. Uh, we'll go through the standings in more detail later, but we probably won't mention Racing. In fact, they're twentieth um, with so far two wins, two draws, three defeats. Yeah, it's not good. I mean, obviously, it's early days, and even a win would would seem go up a lot higher than that. But yeah, there's no team, there's no goals, and there's not really much to be excited about in Racing at the moment. No, and also you say it's early days, but in fact we're a quarter of the way into the season now yeah. uh, in the league. But um, we will now discuss a little bit about that league. But first of all, I'm going to just play you some music, listeners, to give you a rest from our voices for about 20 seconds or so. We will be back right after this. Superliga, we've given you the results already. Um, neither of us caught as much as we normally would over the weekend, because as we mentioned last week, this was the first weekend of the um, Paquete football being in place, which means that we have to pay 300 pesos a month extra from now on. Um, Dan, you've got it, but just I didn't happen it. to be watching much football. I didn't get it this week because, as everybody will be aware, the weekend took place in October and I couldn't get a straight reply from my 
television provider about whether they were going to charge by the calendar month or by the 30-day period. So not knowing whether I was going to end up paying 300 pesos for just one round of fixtures, I decided not to bother at all. Just enjoyed a nice weekend doing stuff with my girlfriend and not having to watch football. Which was Much lovely. better way to spend it. Um, I did catch a few of the goals because I discovered the Superliga Argentina de Football YouTube channel, ah. which posts all the goals. So um, I'm going to try, we'll see whether I manage to keep this up from this weekend coming, <coughs> to post those um, on my blog. I normally do this for about two weeks and then just get bored of doing so and stop doing it. But, you know, it's nice to uh, rebirth my blog about every 18 months or so. Um, so the noteworthy results, obviously, as I mentioned, Boca keeping up a 100% record and streaking away at the top of the league now with really nobody challenging them. Um, on the one hand, we've only played seven games, but on the other hand, as I mentioned to Dan a minute ago, we're already a quarter, quarter of the way into the season. Um, Boca got a 4-0 win over Belgrano. Goals from, I think it was two from Dario Benedetto. And, oh, I've clicked it and it's opened in the same window. That shouldn't have happened. Should have opened in a new one, but let's have a look anyway, once it loads. Yeah, I think there's a known goal in there, possibly. I think there was. It's taking a while. Yes, yes. there was. Uh, goals from Cristian Pavon, Dario Benedetto got one. Edwin Cardona scored his first goal for Boca Juniors. Um, and Hansel Riojas La Rosa Great name. Goal. It is, <laughs> Fantastic name. He uh, unfortunately had a rather less fantastic performance. He scored an own goal and got red carded. Um, Hansel wasn't so hot. You no. could say Zulana fans really. He certainly wasn't I appreciate that one Indeed um, Looking back on the other results So that means now Sorry by the way That Boca have Oh that's oh, no, Bloody hell These Tabs not loading properly Here we are Right So <coughs> Positions Boca have 21 points From 7 matches San Lorenzo Are in 2nd With 15 points On their own Tacheres Huracan Union all have 14 points. That is a distinctly surprising um, chasing pack, particularly Huracan, given how rubbish they've been. But funnily enough, they're being pulled up by a Boca Loney, Ramon Avila, Aye. who, um, of course, the former Huracan player, signed by Boca and then immediately loaned out to Huracan for some reason at the turn of the season. Because Angel, Angelich is um, a Bo- uh, an Huracan fan, obviously. Indeed, yes. I'm sure there's, there's nothing dodgy going on there at all nah. uh, and then just behind them Colón Argentinos Juniors and San Martín de San Juan will have 13 points um, so it could very well be that some bits at least of the relegation battle are going to be fought concurrently with bits of the title race if Boca start dropping points at some point because Argentinos San Martín um, and Huracán at least just off the top of my head are all teams who are going to have one eye at least on the promedios of course Argentinos you say that, case, though, because but... they came up they're, they're not you say that though, but uh, Mariano, another pod alumnus, mm-hmm. pointed out that the relegation battle's shaping up to be every bit as boring as the title battle. Well, if you have a look, indeed, yeah, we'll get onto it in a minute. River are just below that lot in twelve uh, with twelve points, sorry, in ninth, and Lanús also in twelve points uh, in tenth place on goal difference behind River. Um, so that's the top ten, and the other sort of eye-catching results from the weekend other than those 4-0 wins for Tacheres against a River reserve side, Huracan against a Lanús reserve side. Um, Argentinos, who got won by the odd goal in five against Arsenal. Um, that one looked like a good one. Let's try and open it in a new tab this time, which we can. It was Arsenal. It, we should, exactly, we should yeah. point out. And, and Argentinos have been much better than normal, which is why it, sort of, it looks better than you're expecting it to be mm. as a neutral um, if that makes sense Arsenal actually went 2-0 up about midway through the first half 
and then Argentinos came back and you know the inevitable happened Arsenal lost a match again yes. um, Jonathan Sandoval and two substitutes scoring before Argentinos Leonardo Pisculici and Damian Matashini um, so yes well done Argentinos who are keeping up a pretty decent sort of second chapter of the season after a slightly frustrating first three games um, once their fixture list started getting trickier they started playing better fittingly um, and Gimnasia for Vélez nil I think is another one which underlines just how poor Vélez are at the moment yeah it's hard to say what I say at the, the moment I mean you know, the last <laughs> two Vélez. years sort of thing yeah no, I should mention that Vélez they need points to make sure they, they stay away from relegation again but their team's Definitely a work in progress, like almost the entire thing. It their entire starting lineups, youngsters, mm. with only a couple of um, of kind of old favourites of the club still there to keep on going. But the weird thing is with Vélez that they used to do this quite a bit, and sort of you'd end up with some young players who'd look really, really good until they left Vélez and then didn't do very much. And now they're not even looking that good. With the possibly, I mean, occasionally no, Matias Vargas right. puts in a decent yeah. performance. Occasionally Maxi, Maxi Romero puts in a decent performance. But none of them are really convincing for me. None of them have been in any way consistent, even no. of the ones who look like they have talent. Um, and that's that's what's killing Vélez Sarsfield, yeah. essentially, I think. Well, that's a strange one. It seems like they had plenty of possession. They mm. just didn't know what to do with it. Indeed. Yeah, uh, and Gimnasia are playing very well on the counter at times. Yes, um, they they have that capacity to do things to people. Uh, and other than that, yeah, it's it's not been the most thrilling. It looks like it was a good weekend to, yeah. by and large, not bother with. No, I remember I saw a bit of Independiente's game, and that was fairly entertaining. Patronato went up quite early, and the rest of the match was just Independiente absolutely smashing on the door trying to get a goal, and they got it. I think. Just with about five minutes left, mm-hmm. um, with Patronato's keeper, who I cannot remember the name of right now, who played brilliantly all game, and finally at the death let a pretty tame shot um, spill, and someone in an Independiente shirt swooped in to score, which Maxi was Maxi Mess. And the Patronato goalkeeper is Bertoli. Sebastian Bertoli. There He's the one who's. Um, did you know this? He, he's a deputy mayor or something of of uh, Paraná or of the town he lives Paraná? in. Something just outside Paraná. Here you go. Um, yeah, deputy mayor yeah. or he's he's on the the uh, town yeah. council. Or the something stats like that. on that are, f- are fantastic. Twenty-one independiente shots mm. to four. Twenty padronato foul, fouls to one independiente. Eighteen, 18 corners, corners to two for independiente. Uh, possession we done up have up there but I'm reckoning it would have been about 80 80-20 68-32 it says here but um, obviously ways of working out possession can vary yeah. from stat website to stat website so I'm sure there will be some that put it up around that so it's just an incredibly one-sided passes. match yeah. Independiente made 578 passes successfully Patronato 117 <laughs> blimey um, anyway we said that we would also talk about the relegation battle yeah. and we know the identity at least of one of those sides as Mariano says um, I suspect the Chacarita Juniors are going to be going down it looks that way yeah unless they find form fairly quickly and I quite strongly suspect as well as I said at the start of the season that Arsenal de Sarandi are going to be going down this season yeah. because 
they're really not very good, apart from that bizarre and totally uncharacteristic win over Banfield, of all teams. Um, they've been awful and they've lost all their other matches. Yeah, you say, I mean, even now they're tw- 11 points shy of Huracan, 13 points shy of Vélez, who are just, are just safe at the moment. And that's a big distance to make up mm. in what remains of the season, especially for a team like Arsenal, who just don't really look like winning any games. No, precisely. The, the other... Um, I'm just trying to work out which is... OK, that's the points total there, and the, the 83 is the matches played. Of course, that's why everybody's got 83. Um, the other teams who are currently in the relegations, I remember four teams go down, Tempele and Olimpo. There is a three-point gap from Arsenal to Tempele. So Arsenal, the reason that we can talk about the point gaps at the moment is that, as I just mentioned, mo- nearly all of these teams have played the same number of games. Um, so Arsenal are on 84 points from 83 matches. Tempele have 87, Olimpo have 89. And there is then a big jump to Huracan, who've got 98 from 83 games. Vélez are on 100. Patronato on 53 matches are on 64 points. So they could drop down. But yeah, I, I can see what Mariano means. You'd say with one chopper at least, Huracan are going to win games, which is what really counts. Yeah, well, um, and, and, in and the, the points total, you know, yeah. fortunately the tables tend to be divided by season, so you can see who's won which points in which season. Chacarita have only got two points from seven matches, those were all this season, obviously. And then so far this season, Arsenal have got three points, Tempele have got four points, Olimpo have got two points, Huracan <laughs> have got 14 Vélez 10, Patronato 10. So you're then looking sort of at the table and thinking, well, who's in relatively poor form? He might get dragged down. Yeah. Tigre, Tigre have got possibly, four points. But they've got a nice cushion there. But they're, they're on 101 over the yeah. whole course of the thing. So Bigger it's going to be tricky for Oricam to, to catch them. Uh, sorry, for, yeah. not for Oricam, but for Olimpo to catch them. It would mean that Olimpo would need to win. Um, there is a gap of... 12 points in total so Olimpo would need to win 13 points more than Tigre over the rest of the season and so far um, they're not winning any points at all they've, they've, they've got two so even if Tigre lose all their games they're still almost definitely going to, <laughs> to finish ahead of Olimpo it's a tough ask are we looking at a league that and, and by Christmas is going to be well. not even worth watching for the second half um, no, not so Superliga I think a lot of it is going to depend on the upcoming weekend because mm-hmm. of course the upcoming weekend might give us an idea of whether Boca Juniors are beatable. Indeed. Particularly with River licking their wounds and wanting to get back to winning ways. Winning yeah, you'd say if if River can't do it in front of their own fans and wanting to prove a point, uh, it's tough to see who can, really. Mm. Boca are going to drop points at some point. That's inevitable. No one wins 28 games out of 28. But definitely if they can... If they can beat River in in the Monumental, that that's a pretty strong sign that uh, that it's going to go their way. I think. Indeed. Um, I don't know what else we can say about the game, like team news wise. It's probably a bit early to say. As I Inter- said already, it is, is a bit dodgy. I think to make it. Marcelo Saraki uh, is going to be subject to a fitness test in the days before the match. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, I think, have much of a predicted lineup at the moment let me see whether we've got anything no we can sort of guess Boca aren't going to be too much changed I imagine no yeah Boca ought to be um, as, as they have been for a fair few games so far this year they, they'll probably be unchanged um, I guess the the big question there is going to be whether Edwin Cardona keeps his place but given that he's scored a goal now even without apparently playing all that well um, still, you would think that he is going to be 
still in the team. Um, and then we're looking now at Boca Juniors team news. It's always tricky doing this on Olay because they frequently don't bother with actually reporting stuff. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Complete. No, that nah. looks to me like we're looking at a relatively nah. unchanged team. Um, Obviously, River Boca players, past and present, taking the piss out of River is much more important than knowing what team is going to be playing on Sunday. Yes, for indeed. Taking the piss out of them for getting knocked out in the semi-finals of a competition that Boca didn't qualify for. Yes, that's, fairly hollow, right? That's where we're at. No other team, no other country in the world does uh, football fandom like Argentina. That's what they'll tell you. And yes. they're talking out of their asses, basically. <laughs> um, but anyway. Um, and for River, it's all about Marcelo Gallardo and how much pressure is under, is on, under him, is on top of him, yeah. rather. Um after this game the good thing for Gachado is that on Sunday there won't be video assisted re- refereeing or whatever that VAR thing yeah because we didn't mention this this controversy no we didn't yeah we've had a question about it though so we'll get on to it later we ha- I will mention one question now though that we've had which uh, was from uh, where's it from oh there we are yeah from Des Corkill who says what the hell is happening at River yeah which, as I said to Dan before we started recording, I think is a slightly strong response to essentially one defeat, given that they've not been bothering with the league. Given up on the league already, well, yeah, they're going to start concentrating on it more now. Um, what pressure is Gasharado under? Which is the point that we were trying to address. I'd um, say he's not... I mean... I think he's got plenty of goodwill behind him for what he's done at River until now. But I'd say the question over Gasharado's future isn't about whether he's going to be sacked because obviously he's not going to be sacked whatever happens hmm. in these matches the question will be if it's whether he wants to if stay. he wants to carry on exactly I know this time last year there was a lot of talk about whether he'd continue um, there were, he's always had a, a couple of kind of tentative offers in Europe hmm. I think I can't remember who was interested Leon was a French week. side yeah and it depends if he believes that he's come to, you know, the famous fin de siglo, um, the end of an era, if he decides that he's kind of taken this river team as far as he can, if it's time for kind of a new guy to come in and um, and put their own spin on it. And I don't think anyone could blame him if, if he decides that. He's already been in the, the job for more than three years, which in Argentine terms is, is almost a lifetime. Hmm. Very, very few coaches managed to make that that uh, milestone, and there's definitely um, an argument for for him stepping aside. I think at the end of the year and seeing what else his career uh, will bring him, and if he does so, especially you know he's still got the Copa Argentina to play for. If he goes out, you know, with yet another cup, he, he's already guaranteed a place, kind of among Rivers' best managers in history. Mm. And and yeah, you you can't blame him at all if he believes that that it's time for for this change. And I've got no doubt that that River fans will support him in that. Yeah, they will. Um, so pressure on him as such is the pressure that he's putting on himself. Um, yeah, he wouldn't go out with a bang at least if it is kind of this season and and this December, which which is earmarked for the end. Precisely. I think if he had of won the Libertadores and gone to to the Club World Cup that would have been the end mm. you know 
no one could have could resist that opportunity to go out in style. Now, I'd, yeah, I'd, no. I'd lean towards saying uh, we won't see him at River beyond 2017. No, um, I would. I'd be pleasantly surprised if mm. we do. Um, the, uh, the closest thing that we've got to team news for the Super Classico for River um, is that Marcelo La Rondo is being operated on, so he's oh, out. Yes. But on the plus side for River, Marcelo La Rondo is being operated on, so he's out. Um, <laughs> he has not really done very much for them, so no. who cares? Uh, beyond that, Rodrigo Mora is still out. Luciano Lolo is still out, still out <laughs> again. Um, that, that was, that's another thing that really hasn't helped River at all, is, is spending quite a lot of money by Argentine standards on a defender who was injured when they signed him. And, and a very, yeah, a very good defender at that. Didn't but. play for six months and yeah. then got injured quite quickly again afterwards, um, which, which really doesn't help at all. Don't sign injured players. No. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's an interesting one. And as we say, it could either breathe new life into the title race um, if River win or it really could look like it's all over and like it's not worth watching from the turn of the new year. Because what? if River win... They would go you know, provisionally and ignoring the fact that everyone else is going to be playing matches as well the same weekend. Level second with San Lorenzo on 15 um, and Boca would remain on 21. If that's combined with a San Lorenzo victory, then suddenly you'd have only three points between Boca in first and San Lorenzo in second. Whereas if uh, Boca win, then eight wins out of eight, 24 mm-hmm. points. Even if San Lorenzo win, Boca maintain that six-point gap. And you're looking at a situation where there are only 19 games to play already yes. because we've got this ridiculous short season. What does Boca's running up to Christmas look like after this River game? That is a fine question and one that's going to be more easily answered on Universal Football, which I don't have open, so let me give one Because second. even if River do win, if they've got Arsenal at home the following week, then they're going to make a very quick return to form, you'd say. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, come on. Here we go. Boca. Boca's next few fixtures after this one are Racing at home, Rosario Central away, Arsenal at home. I think that the 11th round of matches is the last round of matches before the summer break. Let me just check this. The date there. Mm, possibly 3rd the 3rd of December, 12th. the 12th round of matches. is going 12th. to be the 10th of December, 13th round of matches. We don't have a date for yet. So it's, going to, be, so it's going to be a three-hand The remaining games one. this year are for Boca, River away, Racing at home, Central away, Arsenal at home, Estudiantes away. A um, couple of tricky games there, you'd have to it's, say. It, it's, it's getting a bit trickier than... I mean, they started the season home to Olimpo, then they played a Lanús side who were distracted by the Libertadores and in fact had started the league fairly slowly anyway um, and since then it's been Godoy, Cruz Vélez, Sarsfield, Chacarita, Patronato, Belgrano so the, the nature of some of these wins that they've been thumping most of them uh, they've scored four goals on three occasions they've scored three goals on one occasion and only conceded one exactly and only conceded one goal is impressive they're playing much more freely as we've said many times than they were last season mm-hmm. um, but the next certainly the next two matches well, certainly the next one match. You say Central away is um, a difficult one. They've already well, beaten Boca. But I want to get onto this in a bit in response to one of our listeners' questions because okay. Central are in really bad form at the moment. Um, but the the fixture list, the most difficult fixtures that Boca are going to have 
are still to come. Mm-hmm. They've still got to play this weekend. Reber, they've still got to play um, San Lorenzo. They've still got to play Argentinos Juniors. I didn't think I'd be saying that. That's one of the difficult ones. Tacheres, Banfield. Uh, none of these are sides who Boca have already met yet. So the sort of remaining three quarters of Boca's season is a little bit more difficult than the opening quarter was. They, yes. They've had a, a fair That's number... True excluding, as we say, Lanus, who were, who were distracted by continental competition at the time. Uh, Boca have had a fair number of, of their easier fixtures so far. Um, but even so, in a 28-team league, which is bloated by the presence of a lot of, no disrespect men, but weaker teams, um, it's significant that they've been hoovering up the points against these weaker teams yeah. because the vast majority of matches are going to be against the weaker sides. Um, and so, of course, that means, you know, at, at the same time as this, River have been dropping points to teams who River shouldn't have been dropping points to. Mm-hmm. Um, Banfield have dropped points against teams they shouldn't have dropped points to. San Lorenzo have done the same. Independiente. Boca, meanwhile, have just been going along and picking up three points every single week. Um, and that's essentially why... what you have to do in a long tournament, let's be honest. Yep. Especially one of this nature where you're only going to play each team once. Precisely. So it's actually a short uh, championship. but just A short, long championship. With enough teams in it to make it seem like a long season. Um, you know, and, until the day arrives when at last we have a everybody playing everybody else home and away style championship. This is One going to be day. the nature of the One league. day! Mm. Or just until enough teams have gone down that we have once again a sort of a, a Primera that's roughly the Worthy right of strength the name. to be yeah. a Primera. Um, other attractive looking games at the weekend we were trying to discuss mm. earlier. Racing Gymnasia could turn out okay if Racing... You're looking at you know, December the 12th. Uh, oh, sorry, that's December round 12, isn't it? Of course. We want round eight here, don't we? Yes. Estudiantes Argentinos could be interesting. Yeah. Um, San Lorenzo Banfield. San Lorenzo Banfield said. should be good. Racing yeah. Talleres. It's going to be interesting because there's a big party on for the 50th anniversary of the first Argentine world champion uh-huh. against Celtic. Mm-hmm. Good. They're doing a big thing. That's at half nine at night, stupidly enough, because they won't have time for a party before. But... Half past nine. Oh, I thought they'd done away with half past nine kickoffs. They gave Racing special dispensation so they could have a party before. <laughs> oh wow! Right, <laughs> it was going to be at ten past eight, I think. So I reckon that game I'm going to be listening to on the radio while I cook for for our friends of. Oh, of course, Pod. yeah, yeah. Forgotten about that. Excellent. So we'll have it on the telly, possibly. Yeah, I'll have it on the radio. We'll, we'll be able yeah. to tell you what's going on. That's good. While Thank you're you. out in the garden. I don't know if I want to, but yeah. It's nice to know you will. Indeed. Um, other than that, I'm struggling to find much inspiration in this weekend's fixture uh, list. Central Atletico. Atletico playing all right, I guess. Yeah. But, Olimpo, but we nah. need to talk about Rosario Central. Well, let's talk about Because they Rosario have not Central. been playing well. And as I said, we have had a question about them. It's one of the latter questions to be tweeted in, but I'm going to read right. it out now anyway, since it is relevant. Breaking the order, Sam. Breaking um, the order. Indeed, yeah. Tom Robinson, who asks uh, a couple of questions, but one of them is, thoughts on Paolo Montero being linked to the Sunderland job? Surely he's not that... I don't know whether he's saying surely he's not that mental or surely the club aren't that mental. I think um, they're both are, to be honest. Yeah, it could I think be a, that, um, a match made in heaven. Sunderland very much are. Paolo Montero seems to have chilled quite a lot since he became a manager. He's, he's much more relaxed as a manager than he ever was as a player. But Central's form so far this season hasn't been good, and I think that he, he himself has recognised... Um, that he's under pressure, mm-hmm. that the Copa Argentina has provided something of a release to that pressure, of course, because they're in the semi-finals um, against Atletico Tucumán. Yeah. 
Um, so they have a route, possible route back into the Copa Libertadores there, and they've they've been strong in the Copa Argentina without actually winning it over the last few years. As we to mentioned. be fair, though. I mean, as we were just comparing mm. with Boca's first half, that Colón, isn't the easiest first quarter. Yeah, they've they've had a temporarily. Who you said haven't won as well? Yeah, temporarily said got. hadn't lost at home. I believe like, mm. they're not easy games. Definitely this. The the, the one that stands out, Olympia, I think. Yeah. I think the one that, that casts a pal over their season as a whole so far is that thrashing in the classic. The they they lost four nil at home to Van. Uh, sorry, not in the classic. What am I talking about? I'm thinking about we're still talking about Lanús. Uh, they haven't played the Classico yet, of course. No. Uh, they play Newell's on the last round of the of the year. Oh yeah, round twelve. There we are. Um, so yeah, ignore what I said about that. But they did lose four 0 at home to Banfield, so that is still a, a black mark, even though it wasn't the Classico. It turns out now that I've done my research. Yeah. Um, no, I don't really but, know what's happened with Central. As someone who doesn't watch a great deal of Central games. They, they should like the have got two very similar strikers, Marco Ruben and, and uh, the other bloke, San Pedri, thank you, they brought in from Atletico Tucumán. Um, and there's not enough sort of happening behind them. I, I, mm-hmm. I think that um, Gustavo Coleman seems to have been pushed forward into more of a number 10 role, So whereas before normally Central would be playing uh, sort of a 4-4-2, it's now like a 4-3-1-2. Um, with Coleman playing in behind the strikers and he himself he seems to be enjoying it to me I think he's coming on interestingly as a player I'm not sure how old he is Um, I think he's quite young but I'm just going to check because I have a horrible feeling that he's not as young as I think he is so I mean it's a shame for Central especially if they've got these problems with Croatian because they've lost Oh, he's 32, so, many, so he's definitely not young. Um, <laughs> Baby face, though, we could say. Indeed. I mean, they lost so many decent creators over the, the last couple of years. They lost Servi to a Portuguese team, which I always mix up, so I'm going to say on the spot now, Benfica. 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 There we go. Uh, they lost Los Celso. Yep. Who was two. Probably some French one, side. Some French side um, in the capital, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lost Walter Montosha, uh, who went to Sevilla. I'm just throwing that in for Joseph Sexton, who loves listening <laughs> to my to my Sevilla. Um, and those, you know, they were three very decent young talents who, who need to be replaced. And yeah. it's not easy to replace players like that. We've said it many times when you lose a good young player, it's they always uh, leave a gap. So... We'll see. Uh, I reckon this game against Atletico is massive for Montero. If he wins, it could just give him a, a bit of a boost to mm. the end of the year with the Copa Argentina game coming up and with um, and with that Clásico against News rounding off the year. They won't want to want to end the year with um, with a Rosario derby defeat, definitely. No. And also, you know, this this weekend's game yeah. against Atletico in the league is a bit of a dress rehearsal. Indeed. For the Copa Argentina semi-final, which I don't think we have a date for yet, it um, but which is obviously yeah. going to be sort of impending. Um, Returning so to the Sunderland chance. question, I'd say that considering what Montero must earn now in Rosario and what he would be in line to earn in Sunderland, yeah. if they offer them the job, he'll take it in a heartbeat. Indeed, you would think so. Yes. Um, and yeah, I mean yeah. he's got. He could do right, in yeah. the footballing world. He seems like a nice guy. I've no idea whether he speaks English, yeah. but he won't shy away from a from a promotion battle. That's for sure. No, <laughs> he's a combative 
a combative chap. Absolutely. When you say promotion, you mean relegation. Are they not in? Oh, Sunderland in the Championship. Oh, they went. Oh, right, yeah. Bloody hell, I get confused. Sorry. I can't believe I've. Of course they are. I've out Premier League, Sam. This is unprecedented. Sorry, Sunderland fans, I got confused. Um, Wilson's not going to be happy. No, he won't. Right. Fortunately, I don't think he listens when he's not on, so that's right. okay. Um, other attractive looking fixtures, I'm struggling. Lanus, I suspect, are going to have a bit of a hangover against Olimpo. But it is Olimpo. Um, but it is Olimpo, so you never know. And yeah, elsewhere, I'm, I'm really not digging this fixture this much, possibly Estudiantes Argentinos. No, I'd say if but. you don't want to, if you're thinking about whether to pay the, the pack price this weekend, I'd say go out for a coffee. Watch River Boca on a on a TV screen, and don't pay for another week. No, indeed. I mean, in practice, I probably will be uh, getting on it either later today or tomorrow, but we'll we'll have to see. Um, Any other questions? Yeah, we've had lots of other questions. Let's Ooh, move on let's to see. them now. Yes. Uh, we've already answered Des Courtkills about Gasharado's pressure. We have one from Nate Cubeta who asks: With Burrito Martinez not fitting into Orlando's squad at Independiente. Could he be on the move within the Primera or back to MLS? I mean, he's not going to easier Independiente because Independiente have about 20 strikers. Yeah. That's pretty much the... And a decent strata of, of attacking midfielders where Indeed. you would think he could also do a job, but it turns out that he can't yeah. get into that either. You'd so say possibly Vélez would be interested in, in taking him back. Repatriating him. Repatriating him. Uh, I can't think of... Many other clubs who could both pay his wages and would benefit from him. That's mm. kind of um, a Venn diagram, which is very, very narrow. Yeah. Um, and possibly just as well as in the middle. Uh, MLS? Yeah. Maybe. What about, I mean, what about possibly a move to Boca? Because Boca are going to need, in the new year, to broaden their squad a little for an assault on the Copa Libertadores. He's played there before. I think if. Boca end up bringing Burrito Martinez this uh, this summer and not Tevez. Angelici's going to get shoved into the same hole in the Bombonera that the Boca fan did. Check Dan's Twitter and timeline not, if you're not sure what he's talking about. And he won't be let out. No, indeed. Uh, Liam Kelly, who is no relation to me, says, Well done, Laos, but it was poor from River. It was their own undoing, and that's why they're out. However, VAR VAR should have been applied to the Skoko incident when River were 2-0 up. This was an incident in which... If Coco was uh, sort of bundled over in the box and the ball also hit uh, Lanus' hand at the same hand, time. Yeah. Uh, Ivan Marconi, thank you, Dan, um, hit his hand. Um, I Phil Carney's always. There, there's also a, there's asked a related. Thank you. Yeah, I knew that there was another question about it somewhere. I was trying to find it. Uh, Phil asks uh, the first use of VAR in the Libertadores are fairly controversial at that. Are we happy with how it was implemented? Um, in the heat of the moment and during the game, it seemed a bit uneven because what happened for the benefit of listeners who are not aware and who listen to Under Pod so that they can be aware of these things um, is that the referee decided not to look at the incident again uh, when Ekoko was pushed over at nil 2 and more, more importantly I think that the main appeals were for the handball mm-hmm. um, and then used VAR to award Lanus a penalty in the second half that was that ended up putting Lanus was that Lanus' third or fourth? That was the, that fourth. Was the fourth goal. Yeah. So in other words, the one that put Lanus through, because up to that point, River was still going through on away goals. Um, 
I think, first of all, I think that actually, regardless of whether the VAR was, was used or not, both of the decisions ended up being correct. I don't think that the Skoko thing was. Mm. Um, I think it was difficult to award a penalty beyond all doubt, given that I thought it was ball to hand more than anything. Um, and the collision was fairly incidental. And the penalty, I can't actually remember what happened now, but I remember during the match thinking, yeah, that's a penalty. Um, Someone got a, shoved tuck. from behind. Tuck, like, which, yeah. which caused um, one of the, the Lanus players to fall exactly. forward. The ref didn't see it. There was an appeal. And as soon as you saw the replay, it was like, yeah, as soon as the referee sees that, he's got to give the penalty. Um, so the implementation of it could have been better, but then it's the referee who decides whether to implement it. And the referee saw the Skoko incident and didn't yeah. think that he needed to see it again. So, exactly, yeah. You know, and, and it was the right decision, as I say, in my opinion. I, I think it was, it was right not to give a penalty for it. Yeah, I must admit, I'm always a bit of a Luddite on on these questions. I'm not a great fan of technology. and I don't mind it, but I do have... I, I think the really controversial thing about VAR in the Copa Libertadores mm-hmm. is that they brought it in for the semi-finals after not playing yeah. it for the rest of the competition. And that, basically, you're changing the regulations of the tournament yeah. partway through the tournament, um, which is a very, very condemnable thing to do. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, just wait and use it in the new year. Yeah. There, was, there was no reason to, to bring it in at this stage. I think that um, the problem I have with it, more than anything, is that it remains in the referee's discretion. And all you're doing is really shifting the focus of all the crappy panel debates that we have in Argentina mm. that talk for hours and hours about nothing. Um, instead of talking about you know, the bad decisions that referees make and why they're robbing doing this, you're just going to end up talking about the bad decisions the referee makes in not referring to, to the VAR. And it could even be worse. I mean, um, a lot of people say, you know, if you're playing in the Bombonera, you're playing in the Monumental, you've got all the, the home fans down your back and screaming for a penalty. Um, it kind of influences you to, to give a penalty. But well, that's, that's true whether you've got VAR or not, though. No, but with VAR it could be even worse because it's a perfect cop-out for, for a ref. Hmm. I mean, you see someone go down in the in the Boca opponent's box, the whole stadium screams, and you're like, "Yeah, you know, I'll I'll chuck it over to the to the video people and and see what they say." Mm. Might be a penalty, might not be, but if the same incident happens in in the Boca box, complete silence, kind of, you're not going to have the same process. Like, yeah, mm, you know, fifty thousand people can't be wrong. This, you know, it's all still confirmation bias. True. This VAR thing could work, but I don't think you can leave it in the hands of the ref. It's got to be guys kind of watching the game concurrently um, by the side of the pitch. And if this incident does go by and it's kind of a clear penalty or whatever, they can, you know, have a word with the, with the ref through his, with his earpiece and the game stops. Mm. But just having the ref saying, mm, wasn't really sure about that. Let's see what the video says. It seems... Seems a very tough, tough way to do it, especially with kind of the, the pressures that are on refs all the time. Yeah, uh, Liam also asks: Will a Copa Argentina trophy be enough to convince Gallardo to stay beyond December? To I like which... that Liam understands it's Gallardo rather than rather than River. That's very good. Indeed. As we were saying. Yes. Um, to which my answer will be no. Uh, I don't think that winning the Copa Argentina or not doing is going to be what makes him decide. No, uh, it's be, uh, irrelevant to the fact they'll be in the Copa Libertadores next year because they've qualified for that already anyway. So it's down to his own ambition, yeah, and you know whether he gets any other job offers. Possibly, um, I like Dan. I, 
suspect, I, I'm leaning towards thinking that he's probably going to uh, go somewhere else at the turn of the year. Phil Carney says, did anything big happen this week? I've been off the internet for a bit, worried I might have missed something. Very funny, Phil. Phil, for the benefit of those who don't know, is a Lanus fan. Um, and then he asks that question about VAR. And then he said, also Pepe Sand, 37-year-old Pepe Sand, leading Lanus to a Libertadores final, having won three trophies since returning. He's up there as one of the best or most influential veteran returnees in Argyball. Granted, returnees normally come via Europe <laughs> rather than Boko, Nidos and Aldasubi. Uh, to which I think the question is, yes, he probably yeah, is. And, he's out there, yeah. You know, particularly, I mean, if, if he led down to a first ever Copa Libertadores, then oh, yeah, man. definitely. Yeah. Um, no doubt. Liam also asked little confidence, he says, sorry, little confidence for Sunday. Liam is a River fan. Um, not down to the other night, but down to head-to-head and Boca looking unstoppable. Granted, this will be their biggest test. Yeah, as we said, it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, they're in fine form. They're high on confidence. They haven't played anybody as good as River, have, uh, as good as River even with River's faults. So we shall see. Tom Robinson asks, <laughs> he sent us a photograph, which I shall retweet on the Hand of Pod account. So check that. It's Twitter at Hand of Pod, or one word. Um, he says, did you see this bloke? And tweets a picture from the Lanus stands in which a rather it's not generously pe- proportioned gentleman is stripping down to his wife runs. That's um, not Pippa Sands' dad, is it? It might be. Yeah. Uh, he says it's admittedly not the best feature for a podcast, but he seems noteworthy. And then he asks about Paolo Montero mm-hmm. linking to Sunderland, which we've answered already. Uh, Tariq Al-Haida says, how might Sampaoli utilise Christian Pavon? Which reminds me that earlier today, before we recorded... Um, Sampaoli announced the four domestic-based players who were going to be added to the Argentina squad for the upcoming friendlies against Russia and Nigeria. Um, We've now heard that that's been confirmed. It wasn't the last time we mentioned this friendlies. Uh, Those four players are Enzo Perez, Fernando Bellucci of San Lorenzo, and two Boca Juniors players, Cristian Pavon and Dario Benedetto. Um, I think that Pavon is most likely going to be utilised as a substitute, and I think that the most likely place for him to be utilised, although he tends to play on the right for Boca, is going to be as a, a uh, replacement for Angel Di Maria on the left. Yeah, he'd be another kind of Papo Gomez, these guys who, mm. who are kind of forwards but, but base out wide. And it'd be nice to see him get a go because he's kind of merited it after, after some pretty uh, solid seasons in Boca. You know, starting very young there, but he's really coming to his own, I think, in his partnership with Benedetto. I don't think he'll he'll go to the World Cup. I think the competition might just be a bit too strong for those forward places. But yeah. but he'll give it a good go, especially he'll have the window of uh, Boca's Copa Libertadores run going up to the um, to the World Cup next year. And if he carries on as he's as he's going, he's an interesting alternative at mm. least. Indeed. And finally, Liam comes back to have a dig at English Dan. He says, typical racing, eh, Dan? No classical semi-final. You tried, but it wasn't good enough. Lack of creativity, commitment going forward will be questioned, which sort of feeds into what we were saying earlier. Yeah, exactly. Um, Questioned, analysed, bewildering, everything, basically. Is the answer going to be to bring back another veteran attacker in the winter transfer window? If you can from Europe? Who else we can? I mean, really, uh, Milito and, and Lopez were the last two to leave. Milito and Lopez. That sort of vintage and quality. So you've brought both of them back now. So where yeah. else do you go next? Uh, Gabriel Alche. Try and repatriate Marcos Acuna. Oh, that would be beautiful. Or Oscar Romero, perhaps. <laughs> you know, he's not playing well, the money is going to come from those. Malavis. We've no idea. Um, 
Romero online? No, there is money in, in Racing, definitely. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you if the... Yeah, but perhaps not enough to um, bring out the players that we were just mentioning, was my point. If one of the presidential candidates in Racing says, as a campaign promise, we're going to bring back Oscar Romero, I'll vote for him. So, you have been warned. Actually, I don't think I can vote because I'm not on the ballot, on the, uh, what's it called, the register. What, you need to get yourself registered then? Yeah, because I've never actually voted, so I think I'd need to do that. Here we go. First of all, you need to be a socio for about two years uninterrupted or three. So that was meant I missed one election, then for another election I didn't bother, and now for this election I probably won't bother again. Fascinating. Indeed. If you've been wondering whether Dan was allowed to vote in racing elections, that's your question answered without you even having to tweet in about it. I won't um, tell you who I'd vote for because I have absolutely no idea. Good. Uh, we will now play some mystical theme music, and this week I am taking on just myself, basically, as um, the uh, predictathon challenge because no one tweeted in, and I forgot to ask people. So stay, t- stay tuned for Mystic Sam's weekend predictions. Okay, I'm making these predictions up as I go along. So here we go on Friday. Chacarita Juniors versus Gimnasia y Esgrima La Plata is going to be a Gimnasia victory. Godoy Cruz versus Huracan will be a draw. On Saturday, Colón against San Martín de San Juan is a Colón win. Lanús against Olimpo is, as I said earlier, I have some reservations about how sober Lanús are going to be, but it is Olimpo and they are at home, so I'm going to go for a Lanús win. Um, San Lorenzo against Banfield, probably the best match of the weekend. Um, I'm going to call it a draw. Rosario Central against Atletico Tucumán. I'm going for a draw there as well. Racing against Tacheres. Sorry, Dan. Tacheres win Tempele against Defensa y Justicia on Sunday morning that's the 11.05 kickoff. I'm going for a Defensa y Justicia victory no I'm not no they've been in quite bad form I'm going to go for a draw there um, Estudiantes against Argentinos Juniors I think it'll be an Argentinos Juniors win Belgrano against Independiente is an Independiente win River against Boca Sitting on the fence, it's a draw. Can I mirror it? Can I warrant a prediction for of that course. one too? I'm gonna say that is a river win. Okay, interesting. We shall see. And then on Monday, there are three matches Arsenal against Tigre is a Tigre win, in spite of Tigre being awful. Patronato against Newell's Old Boys is a Newell's win. And Vélez Sarsfield versus Union to end the weekend. Don't watch that match. It's an Union win. Lots of away wins again. Lots of away wins. And a fair few draws, and I've only gone for two home victories. Just to remind you, those were Colón against San Martín and Lanús, Lanús against Olimpo. We'll see what ends up happening. Um, for now, thank you very much for listening. We're sorry that we're later in the week than normal, but at the same time, we're not sorry, because it gave us some stuff to talk about. Indeed. And come again next week, when we will be reviewing the Super Clásico, and I think I'm right in saying previewing Argentina's friendlies because they're the weekend after, right? The, the weekend of the 11th? 
Or really is it the weekend so of the Possibly 18th? the 9th and the 14th, something Let's like that. Let's check the next two rounds. Yep, no, it's the weekend. It's next week. So we'll be previewing um, Argentina versus Russia and Nigeria in Russia. Wonderful. Indeed. We'll see you again next week. Thank you very much for listening from English Down. Thank you very much. And from me. Bye.